commands his followers to be baptized. Think that adds a layer of importance? Yeah, so it would serve us well this morning to be thinking correct thoughts about baptism. Not just for the sake of being obedient to the command of Jesus, but for the sake of uh, actually walking in what we claim on our church sign, at the very least, to be walking in, right? So, when I say baptism, here's what I want you thinking. I want you to be thinking a story told. A story told. So we We've spent a good bit of time over the last couple of months talking about the gospel, right? And we can put the gospel in quotes and, you know, because it's this big thing that's far bigger than any one reality. And uh, we've talked about how the gospel is a cosmic reality, about how God is reconciling and rectifying, fixing all the problems that went wrong in Genesis chapter 3 at the fall, that he's, he is fixed and is fixing and will one day fix ultimately everything and that he is reconciling all things back to himself and that God has got this grand plan that the universe cannot begin to wrap its head around completely. All right, so we talked about the gospel on a cosmic level and we've also talked about the gospel on a corporate or familial level, a family level, where we get God as father and we get brothers and sisters in Christ that, that are there to worship with us, guide us, help us grow, hold us accountable in all these things. Uh, But we've also talked about how the gospel is a very personal, legal reality. About how there's a sin debt that we cannot pay. That we have rebelled against the good, wise, creator, king. The Bible essentially unpacks the idea of sin as treason. And in the case with any form of high treason, it deserves death. And so, deserving of death, we're kind of in a hole. But Jesus steps onto the scene, God puts on flesh and dwells among us, lives a sinless life that, I don't know about you, but I can't pull off. Goes to the cross as an innocent man, the only person to ever live that did not deserve to die lays his life down of his own volition. And the Bible teaches that all who put their faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible calls them justified. It's just a big word that means declared innocent. The Bible teaches that those who place their faith in Jesus are declared innocent before a holy God, and Romans 5 unpacks that reality for us a little bit deeper. Let's look at Romans 5, verse 1. The Apostle Paul, writing to a bunch of Christians in Rome, says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, there's that justified word again, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into His grace, or into this grace, excuse me, in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has, uh, who has, been, for, who, excuse me, who has been given to us. I can't read this morning. I should drink more coffee. Verse 6. 
While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, the ungodly is just the Bible's way of talking about sinners. So it's not talking about people who deserved Jesus' friendship. It's for people who very much did not deserve Jesus' friendship, the ungodly. Verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, we have now been justified, declared innocent by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if... While we were, what's that word? Enemies, we were reconciled, brought back together, given peace between us and God, to God, by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life, by his resurrection. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So Paul's letter to the Romans all right, is just absolutely packed full with theological depth. And chapter 5 isn't weighing down the average. All right? it's, it's an incredibly dense picture of the gospel, that Jesus is sinless, that he steps onto the scene and he justifies by an action of spilling his own blood, then that those who place their faith, and another word for faith is trust, that those who place their faith in him as Lord get the benefit of that sacrificial death. And that those who have that benefit are now justified, declared innocent before a holy, perfect God. Anybody see anything about baptism in there? Did Paul mention baptism? So we've talked about the gospel, quote unquote, specifically, like the topic of our sermon for the morning. We talked about the gospel about five times now over the last three months. Between this series and our Christmas emphasis, five times that I can count off the back of my head, all right? Not once have we talked about baptism. So, does that mean baptism doesn't matter? <laughs> like, we can talk all day long, at length, about who we are, what Jesus does, and what that makes us, and never get to baptism, and we won't be guilty of talking about a partial gospel. But we already said in Matthew 28 that Jesus commands for us to be baptized. So either A, Jesus is in the business of commanding incredibly arbitrary things that don't really matter. Or B, here's a hint, it's B. There's a reason that baptism is important that has absolutely nothing to do with salvation. Anybody think it's B? It's totally B. It's totally B. The back end of, the back end of chapter 5, Paul argues uh, we looked at the front half of chapter 5, the back half of chapter 5. Paul carries this logical argument into comparing Adam in the Garden of Eden with Jesus. And his argument is this, that Jesus fulfills everything that the moron Adam failed to fulfill. That's pretty much how that rolls out. 
All right? He says, Adam is a dum-dum, and if you're on team Adam, as a rep- Adam is a representative of all of humankind, all humanity, all right? and if you're on team dum-dum, you've got a problem. All right? What you need to be is on team Jesus, team awesome. All right? That's pretty much how the back end of Romans chapter 5 rolls out. He says, get yourself on team Jesus, therefore you are now, instead of being held up to the law as your standard, as the failure, but now you're held up to grace. And then, in chapter 6, verse 1, he says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? The, the train of logic that's going on here is that if God gets a lot of glory and a lot of honor for saving incredibly sinful people, shouldn't we be as sinful as possible so that God gets more glory? I mean, that's kind of what he's saying, right? Like, if the gospel rolls out in such a way, and the Bible, I'm just unfolding a lot of Bible teaching here. The, the gospel rolls out in such a way that the rest of the cosmos are going, why would God waste his time on that reject bunch? So Paul says, God gets a lot of honor and glory and fame and recognition for saving the unsavable. Shouldn't we make ourselves as dirty as possible that way? You ever seen the infomercial where the person makes as big a mess as possible and the incredible simple thing? Yeah, because it's not. Paul says, shall we sin all the more so that grace may abound? I mean, if we're, if we're incredibly sinful, that means we get a lot more grace, right? Was his answer? Verse 2, by no means, the Greek here is almost cussing. <laughs> He's exploding with absolutely not. All right? Like I told you, Paul will punch you. All right, verse 2, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been, what's that word? Oh, look at there. Who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were, what's that word? Baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 8, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So, even though we can talk correctly and at length about the gospel and never get to baptism, Paul here links baptism to a reality that's already taken place in your heart. He says it's a picture of something. It's a picture of Jesus laying his life down of not counting other things as more important, of paying the penalty for sin, 
of defeating death itself. It was a picture of his eternal reign forevermore. It's a picture of something. It's a reality of being dead to sin in our former way of living, of being dead to old habits and lifestyles, and Paul here likes it too, of actually identifying with Jesus' death himself. But not just the negative. We don't hold you under the water until the bubbles disappear. Although, I may mess with Heinrich today. Now you come back up, right? It's not just the death part. It's the life part. We identify with Jesus in his death of dying to sin, of dying to the old self, of dying to uh, our own selves in every way, and being raised to the new self of this new life that is now identified by, marked by, disciplined by Jesus. He says, baptism doesn't accomplish anything. It's a picture of something that's already been accomplished. If you've met with me about baptism over the last few weeks, or ever, whether publicly or in my office, you've heard these words come out of my mouth, right? Baptism is an outward picture of an internal reality. Should I say it again? Baptism is an outward picture of an internal reality. When I say baptism, I want you to be thinking a story told. It's a declaration of the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf and of the new reality of who he is creating you to be. So that leads us to one more question. Who is this declaration going out to? Do we have slides? I don't know. Look at there. We have slides. I think there's three groups of people. One is to yourself. That's why Paul mentions baptism at all in chapter 6 of Romans. After unpacking this reality of the gospel as he unfolds what sin is and who Jesus is and why that's important, he comes to this big head at, at chapter 6 and says, well, that's why you're baptized. It's a picture for you. You're going to struggle. You're going to have days that are a little, a little more difficult than others. Where you're getting beat up so bad that all the victories seem like maybe they, did they ever really happen? Paul says here that baptism is a picture for your own benefit so that you can remember who you were and what Jesus has done and who he is now creating you to be. It's for you. And that's not it. There's a second group. To your friends and family. The people that you love and love you most dearly in your life. If Jesus has changed you at a core level, changed your heart and your life, and it's affecting and, and, 
and changing and shaping everything about who you are and what you do. You think maybe the people that are most valuable to you probably need to know that. Yeah. <laughs> Two reasons. Some of those people are followers of Jesus too. They're going to be excited for you. They're going to be the ones that love you dearly and are cheering you on, are there to pick you up when you fall. They're going to be the ones that are seeking diligently to serve you well. Some of those people are not followers of Jesus, and they need to know what Jesus does. It's a testimony of the gospel. And so when we baptize someone here, we encourage them to invite a bunch of people that are in their life, whether they know Jesus or not. Because they're friends and family. They need, to, they need to see what Jesus does. What a, is there a greater testimony of the gospel than watching a life be changed? Not even close. But there's a third group. Your new church family. When you're, when you're brought into body of believers that we call the church. They're a group of people who are going to make it their aim to help you grow. To hold you accountable to the public decisions that you make. They're the ones that are looking to help you grow. So, National Baptist Church is no different. When you become a member of National Baptist Church, we require that you be baptized, and it has nothing to do with salvation. It's because it's a part of your public declaration to follow Jesus. Right? And by saying, this is who I am, and this is who I was, and this is who God's making me to be, the rest of your church family goes, all right, let's go be it. Let's leave behind that old. Let's go be When I say baptism, I want you to be thinking a story told. Your baptism is an opportunity to tell the world around you that Jesus changes hearts and he changes lives. And the idea of being separated from God because of your or it's a chance to tell your story of a dying to sin in yourself and of being raised to new life in and with Christ. So what do we do with this? Great, we all understand baptism a little better. How do we respond to this? For some of you, it may be that you have no idea who this Jesus is that we're talking about. Like, you've, you've got an idea of religious actions. You've got an idea of, of spiritual or godly things, but the idea of dying to yourself and being raised to walk in newness, that 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 mimics and mirrors the life, death, burial, and resurrection of God himself, that probably comes out of left field for you. And if that's you, we'd love to introduce you this morning. How do you do that? The Bible says that you call to him. You repent of your sin. You come to him as Lord. And then the Bible throws out that justified word again declared righteous. 
reconciled. And if that's you, in a second I'm going to pray and we're going to sing and it'll be your chance to, to respond in some kind of way. It's not some filler at the end of our service. We want, people, we want to give people the opportunity to do business with a holy God in a way that distractions outside of that door quickly take away from you. So if that's you, let's talk. We'll have some people down here to talk if you need help. For some of you, you're walking faithfully with Jesus, but you've never, you've never been obedient to that command to be baptized. We can talk about that too. Have you told your story to those who need to hear your story? There's a third group. Maybe you're here today and your life is absolutely full with religious actions and other stuff. But they've always been divorced from what God is actually doing in your heart. Can I just be honest with you? You don't find one positive example of that happening in the Bible. Every example we do have of religious actions that are empty of the heart that God expects, it, it's always followed by God's wrath being declared coming on them. <laughs> Like, you think you're going to fool him? He's not fooled. Maybe you're here today and your life is identified with a bunch of religious actions that are completely separated, divorced from what God is actually doing. For you today, maybe you need, need to begin to put action to those public declarations of faith that you've made. We can help you walk through that too. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing and you respond however God's calling you to respond. When I say baptism, I want you to be thinking a story told. Father God, you are good. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for loving us, sending your son to die for us. Thank you that you are bigger than death itself. That you... You were not slowed down by or overwhelmed by the fracture of this world. But you defeated sin and you defeated death and that those who place their faith in you get that same victory. I thank you for the picture of baptism. Thank you that we get to tell a story today. I've got to pray that, that each of us in here and I think every one of us in here can identify in one way or the other. Each of, each of us in here have either told our story well or to, told our story poorly. Maybe we don't have a story yet. Would you call us to respond well this morning? As we sing and as we pray and think, and would you do business with our hearts? So in your name we pray. Amen.